Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rev Up, uh, the podcast where we talk all things revenue growth for business. Uh, if you are responsible for marketing, sales, account management, anything revenue growth, really, uh, you own a business, you run a business, uh, and you really want to understand, you know, what is working out there and what is not uh, in this world of revenue growth that we talk about, and maybe you want to have a little bit of fun along the way, you're in the right place. I'm Ben Shipley. I've spent the last 19 years of my career building and leading revenue teams all over the world. Uh, hired people in about 31 countries so far. Uh, at some points, had teams uh, speaking up to 14 languages at a time. Um, this is my absolute area of passion, uh, in particular the sales aspects, uh, which is why today uh, I've got on the podcast. Uh, a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Carl Price. Uh, Carl is a software as a service growth executive, uh, currently leading new business and pipeline growth for rising tech giant Freshworks. Um, he's an executive member of the Forbes Business Development Council. Uh, he's a go-to-market board advisor for the Public Sector Network, uh, who's founder Ross Ashman we had on the, the show recently uh, and who is obviously also a global B Corp social enterprise. Uh, Carl's been doing this for 15-plus years uh, in high-growth roles. He is a leading expert in the world of account-based go-to-market strategies and pipeline generation. Um, I'm so excited to have Carl on the episode today because um, – where Carl, uh, wherever Carl goes, uh, revenue and pipeline growth follows. Uh, so this is a great one to listen along to, particularly if you are in B2B uh, sales, if you are in software sales uh, and marketing, uh, if you are in enterprise sales and marketing, enterprise size business sales and marketing. Uh, the Rev Up is brought to you by Trust the Process, where we help Small to medium-sized businesses grow by leveraging cost-effective, skilled staff offshore, uh, as well as helping them to implement technologies like CRM systems, things like HubSpot. Uh, visit www.trusttheprocess.com.au uh, if you'd like to find out how we can help uh, or just to ask some questions. Uh, over to me and Carl. Welcome to the show, live from downtown LA, Mr. Carl Price. Thanks for joining us, Carl. We um we obviously know each other because we worked together for uh for a few years years back, maybe over a decade at a company called IQPC, which is a pretty common theme for this show so far. Had a few of our former colleagues and friends on. Um, we worked together as counterparts. Uh, in two sides of, of, I suppose, the sort of same sales funnel, but coming out of uh, different lead sources, uh, oftentimes on the opposite sides of, uh, you know, some channel conflict that we had to work through together. Uh, those were some very formative years. Uh, those were some very interesting years. And we obviously still have a lot of uh, friendships and, and you know, colleagues and people we work with that, that came out of those. What do you... Uh, what do you recall and what did you kind of take away from those years that we spent together in the uh, the events world? You know, I couldn't wait to get out of that company. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it was um, it was great. It was such a great learning curve for a lot of us. Um, you know, I think back when we were all working together, probably, you know, as you said, uh, over a decade now, um, 
felt like everyone was very passionate. Everyone wanted to do the best, but at the same time, a lot, a lot of learnings around sales and sales methodologies. And I took a lot of those learnings from that company into my next company when I started to work in tech and really, and really applied them in, in, in successful ways. I think when you're in a business like IQPC, that really, um, you know, it was a, it was a bootstrap company, right? Mm. It didn't have tons of resources. Um, we all kind of got involved and all kind of contributed towards each other's strategies. And I, I really like those sort of scrappy environments because it really helps you learn a great deal. So actually at, at that company was my first taste of sales because mm. my background was marketing. Um, and I started to do, uh, if you like, I was running an SDR team, but we didn't even call them SDRs. We call them an inquiries team, right? Mm. Uh, but really what they were was an inbound team, a follow-up team. And that was yeah. my first flavor of really starting to work in and build a sales development uh, function. And I loved it. Yeah. I remember uh, I, I look back on those times now and sometimes I think about like we were we were calling inquiries. Sorry, we were calling content downloads that were like podcast content downloads. It must be all, like 12, 13 years ago. Um, yeah. Before that was a thing, you know. Correct. Yeah. We were pioneering it. It was before <laughs> you didn't really have, you know, um, marketing qualified leads at the time. Mm. If you did, it was very limited in terms of how you would score a lead up. And, you know, we were just tracking and we were interpreting someone that would complete a form to give us some contact details. We would interpret that as showing signs of interest, right? Potentially mm. they're in a buying cycle. And it works. It works for, you know, it worked for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Lots of, uh, I think one of my my biggest takeaways from those times is I look back um, at some of the colleagues that we had during those times and the sheer volume of successful colleagues that are now uh, running successful businesses, you know, uh, sales directors, marketing directors, so on and so forth across the, across the, um, across the board. There's just such a volume. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, yeah, super impressive to see all of that. But it must have been, uh, it must have been hard enough and challenging enough that we all had to really <laughs> learn our way through and figure some things out yeah. in order to take those next steps. Um, you got into, um, like you said before, you you got into the world of sales development. I think you got into it. You obviously got into it really early on. Um, I'd love to hear. Uh, for the listeners, I obviously know because we're we're friends. But for the listeners, like, um, what's your story been? You know, the half a glass of wine version of how, how you kind of went through that process, how you got into the world of sales development, and how it's kind of progressed up until now. Well, firstly, there's never a good story from just half a glass of wine. It's always more, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's but, it. So, um, look, I, I, when. My first job in tech was shortly after we worked together. Um, so I worked for a company called Interactive Intelligence. That was uh, customer experience software. And um, my my job there was to run demand generation. So I sat within the marketing org. Um, and within the marketing org, I also set up sales development. Um, so we started spinning up our first SDRs. And we did that on a global basis. So I was in a global role. Um, you know, the company was about $400 million. It was public. And um, it was great learnings for me. So 
one of the things we were setting up was, uh, you know, the sales development teams would pretty much just be an inbound machine. So any leads that I would generate, any contacts that I could get my hands on, would just go directly to this team for a follow-up. So you do an event, everyone from that event that you would get in a list would just go to the team for a follow-up. There was little more strategy and thought behind it other than that. And if you think about it, and I talk about this a lot, is just the evolution of what business development or sales development represents today from what it did 10 years ago. Mm. And over the last 10 years, it's been a dramatic evolution, I think. Uh, the value of the team of what SDRs or BDRs provide today is significantly different from what it used to be. And what I mean by that is, you know, 10 years ago when I was in this role, I was in the demand gen role, but also owning the SDR team. And I was essentially responsible for generating contacts because we didn't have anyone to call otherwise. We didn't have lists of people. Mm. And that's why forms existed on websites. That's why you would put out a form to get someone's contact information. One, because we're trying to score you in the back end as well from marketing, mm -hmm. just basic logic um, for scoring methodologies. And at the same time, I needed to give the sales guys someone to call. So a form was really, really important. 10 years later, and now, you know, and two two more companies later, I now work for a, you know, I head up pipeline growth for Freshworks, uh, which is $500 million company, also publicly listed, that leads are not important for us. In fact, we don't really care about leads that are coming from marketing. It's nice to have, but it's not essential. What we really need are intense signals. We're looking at account-based metrics. We're looking at marketing doing ABM programs to light accounts up, to give us um, those intense signals, capture accounts in buying cycles, and we can go and find the contacts ourselves. There are many contact expansion tools that we leverage. There's Sales Navigator, there's Zoom Info, there's Lucia, there's Cognizant. And they have kind of matured what marketing needs to do for us. Marketing can go and concentrate now just on marketing and mm. creating demand, capturing demand. Then the business development team qualifies demand, salespeople convert demand. And if you stick to that really nice pattern um, and those accountabilities, I think it's super scalable and you see a lot of success. Yeah, absolutely. So that that piece around um around, you know, pipeline growth and and um you know, go to market strategies, that that sort of stuff, the sort of stuff that you're responsible for now. How do you tend to break that up? Like what are the pieces to the puzzle that you need to assemble in order to be able to grow a pipeline, you know, particularly for a, a tech business the size of Freshworks? Yeah, focus. It's the biggest thing is focus. So um, separated out your your skill set of someone that is going to. So we have still an inbound team and an outbound team, but mm -hmm. I use outbound lightly. So the inbound team, I do not use lightly. They are essentially following up people that want demo requests, hand raises, contact us, people that are, um, you know, directly asking you to call them because there's a clear sign of a buying intent. So we have teams set up for that, but also we have this uh, outbound team and I labeled those to BDMs versus BDRs. And I'll give you a quick bit of context why I did that. The customer service industry changed in SaaS, changed their title to customer success. And then, mm. so as an entry level position in customer service in a SaaS company, 
you join as a CSM, a customer service manager, as an independent contributor. And in business development, we still had this title BDR, business development rep. And you're not inspiring anybody for a career as a rep. Like it doesn't give you any sort of motivation. It's certainly not attracting Gen Z and Gen Y. They look at that and think, well, why do I want to be a BDR when I can be a CSM? And, you know, so I'm trying to, we're trying to create more excitement by incorporating that. So we have an SDR team, which is more entry level, which is more of the inbound role, which is more, if you were to, if you were to come into the tech industry for the first time from a graduate, an SDR is where you would start, but a BDM is really where you start to build true prospecting skill sets. And the playbook for a BDM is very different. So obviously, as an SDR, I'm just accepting, I'm being reactive. People are sending me leads, which I'm going to follow up. As a BDM, I'm not doing that at all. In fact, I don't care about leads in the BDM world. What I'm looking at is intense signals. So the playbook is this. If a simplified version then is, I'm a BDM, I'm going to have some target accounts or named accounts, we call them. So you're going to give me, say, 200 named accounts to focus on, focus on at any given time. Out of those 200 named accounts, they're going to be in my um, account-based dashboard. So any intent signs that they're showing, first, second, and third-party intent signs, I'm going to be able to see that in a dashboard, which is aggregating a bunch of tools, so like demand base and Bombora. So I'm going to see uh, my accounts. Let's say I have walgreens.com. I'm looking at walgreens.com as my named account. I can see every single time they're on Google searching for ITSM software, I can see that in my dashboard. So mm. when I see those intense signals, I see it at an account level. I'm not seeing lead information because that's illegal, but we are tracking everyone at Walgreens IP address every single time they're on a search engine. Mm. So because I can see those intense signals, I'm seeing um, how, how to prioritize my account lists. Walgreens is going to pop up at the top because it's showing lots of intense signals. After that, I'm going to go to a contact expansion tool. I'm going to find that buying unit. Who are my decision mm. makers that I can go and speak to? So now I'm in Zoom Info. I'm in Sales Navigator. I'm figuring out who could be looking for ITSM software. Who in this company, and it's massive, Walgreens, right? Who, who do I need to try and find? So I'm going to map out, say, 10 people. I'm going to find business personas and IT personas and technical personas. So I'm now going to find those uh, different buying groups. And now I'm going to place those into an outreach sequence. And some of our outreach sequences have been tailored specifically to different personas. Um, so there's a different sort of outreach uh, uh, sequence for more of a technical buyer and a different outreach sequence to more of a business buyer. And each mm. of those have to be highly customized. So I don't want people sending 500 emails a day. In fact, when I first joined Freshworks, that's exactly what was happening. And I was getting requests saying, hey, you've blocked me out for more than 500 emails in one day. Can, can you increase my capacity? And I said, absolutely not. If you mm. think about it, that's what marketing teams exist for. If you want to send emails at scale, there's a marketing department for that, and they're much better at it than you. What yeah. you're good at is personalized one-to-one -one prospecting. So personalize it. Ben, if I was pitching you and I found you in my buying unit for Walgreens, I'm going to go and figure out something that I think is going to capture your attention to initiate a conversation with on an email. And it's going to be something like, hey, Ben, I noticed that you've got a podcast now. Um, it sounds great. I listened to this episode and I really think uh, what you're saying about blah, blah, blah matters a lot. 
while we're on the subject, are you if you're in the market for an ITSM software solution, blah, 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 then let's have a chat. So I know that was very waffly, but what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to capture your attention yeah. by being super personalized, by looking at your digital footprint, and then I'm going to put it across in an email. And the email needs to be four sentences. If it's yeah. more than four sentences, I start to look at it because let's yeah. face it, who reads more than four sentences on no, email? Nobody on is, is the answer. Yeah. I think that this is, this is a really interesting conversation in that um, what we're talking about here is obviously account-based marketing, account-based business development, um, and we're talking about uh, large-scale um, and it sounds like large and predominantly enterprise-type buying, uh, purchasing units, decision-making units. Um, But a lot of these lessons, I think, scale up and scale down, you know, particularly the one around personalization. If you've got got a decent price point, um, you know, relatively complicated sales price, you've got multiple steps, you really got to get some buy-in, you got to do a great job, and you've got a good payout at the end of it, it's really worth spending the time to make sure that your initial outreach and your initial connection is yes. is good because <laughs> losing that one lead, that one great opportunity, I think um, a lot of people just, you know, shotgun the market and hope that they get the best, even yeah. when they're talking to founders and business owners, you know? Yes, absolutely. The spray and pray tactics don't work anymore. They used to. Um, it used to be send three, 400 emails a day. That would probably get you someone biting, but they don't work anymore. And they don't work anymore because buyers are way more mature uh, in terms of entering a buying cycle. And Google has published lots of research on this. And I think the most common statistic we hear is I think 70% of the buying journey is done away from the seller. And then on top of that, Gartner produced a, a study last year, which argued that um, 49% of buyers are want to sell a free experience. So like we're, we're really talking about a world where people are self-educating and figuring things out themselves. So as a company, you've got to make yourself really easy mm. to learn about what you do, what you offer, because that buying journey is not linear. It's up and down, it's backwards and forwards. You've got what your technical persona might be this far in, uh, your IT persona might be this far in, your business persona might be towards the end. You know, and then you've got finance that need to be brought in at some point. So there's lots mm. of like, it's just all over the place. It's messy and it's messy, but it's exciting when you think about it that way, because there's not this perfectly clear funnel to go down. In fact, it's all over the place. It's back and forth and um, up and down, left and right. And when you think about it like that, it just makes the job way more interesting. So from a prospecting perspective, you're absolutely right. Um it is an enterprise model. Typically, when people think account-based and they think intent signals, they think enterprise. But that has started to apply way more at every single layer of the segment. SMB velocity is probably a different ballgame at the moment, mm. but I don't think it will forever be like that. But for kind of like more 500 employees plus, um, in that sort of world, in that sort of environment, there's no single decision maker. Most people are making it in groups or with different teams. There are buying roles now versus personas. So like each person comes with a duty, right? Your technical person is figuring out, well, can I integrate this product? Your finance person is coming in. Can we afford it? Your business person is coming in. Can it solve my problems? So there's like different roles that people that people have. 
before making these decisions now. And it's just done so at a much more complex level than than what we used to think it was. Yeah, yeah, even at that small business level. Um, you know, and yeah. I think the piece around making decisions in groups is applicable even at the smallest of businesses, the founder level, because the their decision-making unit, you know, that maybe in a large business is the CFO and the marketing director and whoever, uh, is now their three friends at their business networking community that they chat to on Facebook yeah. in a community group. <laughs> awesome. So um, I'll tell you something that I'm really keen to to hear your take on. Um, we... We've talked a little bit about it. You've alluded to it, um, you know, content um, and gated content uh, and lead generation and these things and how things have been in the past. We send some content out in the world. Somebody fills in a form in order to access it. We then call them and try and bring them into the pipeline um, and how those things are starting to change. It does really feel like uh, people don't want to be tricked into your pipeline anymore. Uh, they don't want to be like, oh my God, all of a sudden I'm in the sales pipeline. They want to make their own choices about that. Um, Correct. What, what has become your approach to content marketing? Is it still really important to produce content? Is it still really important to, to go down that track? And how do you, how do you kind of see that evolving and, and how yeah. are you approaching it? The way I see it, and a lot of people see it differently, so I'll, I'll first caveat with that, that the way I see it is, um, you know, there are two core functions that marketing play when it comes to demand. For me, those core functions are create demand and capture demand. So what that means is, you know, putting content out there is driving awareness, education, helping people understand how you might be able to fix a problem if there is a problem that exists. And then capturing demand is about, I suppose, this form fill idea where, you know, someone, you make it really easy for people as a call to action to go and get a demo, go and speak to a salesperson, you know, capturing demand could be a chatbot on your website, which is, you know, just very simply qualifying people um, based on what interest they may have. So, when I see marketing in terms of what role they play and content that's included in that, I see that role as being, um, you know, creating demand and capturing demand. Then when I talk about business development, um, I really see that team as the, the team that qualifies for that, that demand. Mm. So the team that's actually, okay, all of this interest is here. Which ones does, which ones do we can we fix? Which ones can we help solve out of all of these problems that these people have? Who can we help solve these problems? Wait, let me say that again. When I think about business development, I think about how they qualify demand. And when I think about qualifying demand, it's about seeing everything that you've got from that's being created. So any interest that's being sparked up, any interest that's being sparked up through capturing demand as well, the qualification piece is about sifting through all of that and thinking, okay, can we help solve your problem? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, is this a fit? And I think this is a really big, that is often overlooked, but I think this is where business development really need to start pushing themselves into a different direction. It's not just about qualifying anyone with a business problem. It's also qualifying with, can my company that I'm working for 
solve your problem properly. Um, otherwise, all you're doing is, um, yeah, you're qualifying someone that's got a massive need to solve a really big business challenge, but that's going to get to an AE or a salesperson. And that person's going to say, actually, we can't solve that problem. That's technically out of our scope. Like, you know, our product doesn't do that. They want a mm -hmm. contact center. We're not a contact center. We're a, we're a digital customer service provider. And so it's really important that qualification ticks that box as well. And then when I think about sales, it's about conversions. It's converting demand into revenue. And the last point before revenue is pipeline. And that's why I see pipeline as this really big growth um, uh, executive function. Um, I see pipeline as a growing executive function, which it's no longer the ugly stepchild of marketing or sales, where you've mm. got these business development people kind of scrapping around and, you know, they're either admin for sales or they're kind of, all they do is follow up leads for marketing. Actually, it's a strategic position. It's a strategic function now. Um, and that's really where the value comes from that qualification piece. Yeah, that um, that qualification piece and that qualification into pipeline piece, uh, I totally agree, like is it's almost not being considered a separate piece to all of this, but I think more and more companies are learning that it, that it is. Uh, there's a specific role to play. There's a specific way to go about it. You know, yeah. um, when you talk about like, uh, content, for example, and creating demand, mm. you're going to have people that uh, if you're talking about products and solutions at the point of demand creation, you're not creating demand, right? Correct. Yeah. You've got to be talking about problems. And so if you're going to talk about problems before you talk about solutions, uh, you're not going to know whether they're a great fit for you, whether they're like the perfect prospect, whether they're someone that can you can actually help. And uh, we've talked a couple of times on this show with some other guests as well about like the the sales function in the past has been kind of viewed as um, we convince people to do stuff that they didn't know that they wanted to do, right? We're trying to sell things to people. And I think that that's totally changed. You know, when we get yeah. this all right, particularly because of this pipeline, because of this qualification piece in the middle, the job of the sales end of the function is now more about be an expert, be a consultant, be an advisor that can, that yeah. can really help them uh, tie all the right pieces together and cross the bridge. Yeah. But that yes. qualification piece is about, okay, so we know they have a problem. Can we qualify them as are they a perfect prospect where we know we are the best qualified to help them solve this problem? Absolutely. Solve it? Absolutely. And I think it's a really good point that you make because um, the way you explained it then um, is, you know, it's a, it's a very internal outward look of it, right? How can we sell? But actually, the beautiful thing about the way... Um, the beautiful thing about shifting towards intense signals, for example, versus leads, is that you become buyer focused now. It's not about mm. um, I put a form up and kind of force you to fill in your contact details so I could give you a phone call. Like that's just me trying to sell to you. But actually, looking at intense signals, the perfect thing about it is I'm trying to find someone that is actively in a buying cycle. And if you're actively in a buying cycle, all the weirdness goes away. I'm not actually trying to speak to you and 
Like, mm. you know, the, the most, the worst I can do is call you unannounced and just catch you at a bad time. The reality is if you're in a buying cycle, you'll probably want to speak to me if I can help solve your problem, because, especially if you're researching solutions, which I can offer. So it suddenly kind of takes away the weirdness on that phone call, which is, mm. you know, why are you calling me? Uh, I don't remember the white paper I downloaded three weeks ago and you've been trying to call me for three weeks. And yes, I did get your thousand emails. I literally just wanted to open the white paper out of interest. But now you're looking at, you're, you're, you're trying, the, the, the thing that intent solves is you're getting through to people that are in a buying cycle. And, and that's, that's the skill set of that qualification piece. This middle piece before it convert, goes to converting to bookings, before, like, and then after the creating and capturing demand, this middle piece is all about capturing people in a buying cycle and getting it to a seller so that they can sell something which can actually help solve a problem, something yeah. a buyer actually needs. Yeah. So, so those in those intent signals that you talk about, um, what sort of stuff are you usually looking for? Like, what what signals intent for you? So you set intent signals. I'm not sure how much you know you or your viewers um, know about it, but it really some of is them about... very little, some of them a lot. <laughs> Perfect, me, me included. <laughs> you can choose well, me which too, one. a while back. So like it's and plus it changes all the time. Yeah. But essentially, um, first party intent is uh, a prospect coming to my website, which I can track very easily on Google Analytics, right? Uh, second party intent is a buyer review site. So I'm going to go and buy some data off G2 Crowd or Trust Radius based on, um, you know, prospects doing research and finding information that way. Mm. Third party, which I find the most powerful, is what are um, what accounts are doing on uh, search engines. So your IP address for your company, Ben, is public information, as mine is on Freshworks. So with my work laptop, if I'm on Google Chrome and I type in, I need a marketing automation platform, then Google, then that information, Google can sell to third parties, to people like DemandBase, which is a intent and an account-based marketing solution. So they sell that data. So anytime someone at Freshworks is looking at marketing automation, and a company's listening for those intent keywords, such as marketing automation, Freshworks is going to pop up to that to that person. So all of a sudden, um, if if you see multiple people from an account searching for a particular topic that you can solve, um, then you start to put that account into a higher priority. You start to say, okay, well, this account is showing bigger signs of intent signals than the other account where one person searched for our solution you know three weeks ago this account showing live intent like right now today and what is really exciting is it's live data um uh, tools like zoom info show you uh, by the minute like 10 minutes ago this account was looking for crm software well freshworks has crm software so i can i want to jump on that account now the difference is there aren't contact level information. It's always account-based information. But I see that as a huge opportunity. I don't see that as a disadvantage because the way um, buying units, as you mentioned earlier, the way they operate, the way they work, they're super diversified now. If you think mm. back in the pandemic, if I was to sell you something, Ben, I'd come and drive to your head office with you know, a buddy, my sales engineer or someone with me. 
and you all your decision makers will be in your head office and I get you all in one room I do your really flashy demo and then like woo yeah let's sign some contracts I'll give you a form now it's different now it's all done on zoom it's all done on DocuSign like you know everything's done remotely so when it's remote I can just flick that invitation on to three four five six seven people makes no difference to me it's no cost and I can pull anyone I want into that because of that behavior because of how everyone was forced to do remote during the pandemic what we saw was buying units exploded they went from like two or three people to 10 to 15 people so what's really great is yes we don't have that contact level information when we're looking at intent signals but I see it as an opportunity now is like great your buying unit could be anyone go and find them it's exciting go in sales navigator start asking questions get referrals find mm. who you think was searching for those intent uh searching for those keywords that's triggering your intent um and then put those into your lead management uh, platform like outreach that's a that's a super interesting way to think about it because um i know a lot of people struggle with how do i use an outbound team right how do i use a a BDR team, an SDR team, et cetera. How do I use them um, when they're trying to set them up? Yep. They're trying to build pipeline, right? Uh, but they, because they don't know who to point them at, right? If you had the contact information of exactly who was searching for it, well, you probably skip a whole step. But not having it doesn't mean that it's not incredibly valuable. But now you know where to point those people, where to point those resources, those outbound resources to go and find yeah. people because you know someone from that company is interested. Now it's just uh, now you're, you're sending your Sherlock Holmeses in to try and find who. Exactly. And it becomes a, it becomes a lot more interesting, right? So you're no longer this team that's just following up leads, which is what mm. we used to do 10 years ago. It's now all about um, do you have the right tech stack? Are you looking at intent signals properly? What are your keywords monitoring on those intent signals? Uh, how do you find your buying unit? Do your team know even how to find a buying unit? I mean, that skill alone was massive for Freshworks. Like when we moved from lead to account base last year, we had to give so much training around how to actually go and find the right people in an organization. That's a skill. Um, you know, and a skill, which is why I think the role of business development has become way more skilled and sophisticated than what it was again 10 years ago so we if if there was like one core takeaway that i could give right now in terms of how to build revenue growth or pipeline i would say pivot from leads focus marketing on generating and creating so creating demand and really educating the market ungate all your content don't gate a single thing and and that will help your seo at the same time then have your business development team, your BDRs, your SDRs, whatever you call them, get them to focus predominantly on monitoring intent and really skill them up to learning how to do that properly and also learning how to find the right buyers within those accounts. Really knowing your buyer is probably one of the biggest skills sellers or prospectors need to have. Um, and it's not easy. It's changing. You've really got to understand what's changing your industry. How's it moving? What gets them to think? All the different roles within the buying unit are really diff uh, are really interesting as well. Tackle those, get that right, um, mm. and then essentially um, have a really clear handoff process when it comes to qualification. You've got someone now that's potentially an opportunity. 
have a super clear handoff process with the sales team. Um, those three things are critical and will I can put my life on it would would show you increases of pipeline and revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's it's hard to do though, right? It's hard to it's hard to change people's mindsets. Um, especially if you've got a very lead-based mindset in the business that you're you're working in. Um yeah. but I think it's also that you gotta convince yourself. Right, like anybody that's listening to this, uh, hearing you talk about shifting to um, intent-based rather than you know just let's capture as many leads as we can, talk to them, see if we can convince them that it's worth yeah. being in our sales pipeline. They're gonna have to upskill themselves if they don't already know this stuff. Yeah, where where have you gone? <laughs> how did how did you get to this point? And, <laughs> and I ask this for for a specific reason, which is. Um, I've noticed over the years that you've always done a great job of kind of um, staying ahead of the curve, like jumping onto things that are growing, that are going in a certain direction, getting onto the SDR stuff, the sales development in between side of things, the things you're doing now, um, always being at that kind of that that place where we're not kind of following, we're seeing what's happening and going after it, like. Where do you suggest people go to learn how to do account-based marketing if it's not something they've done before? Yeah, I, like so I, I would say trial and error, incubate is the best way. So mm. if you're in a lead model today where marketing is responsible for leads and are still being KPI'd on leads and you've got SDRs that have to follow up those leads, the biggest thing you can do to shift is incubate a small part of the role to focus predominantly on account-based. So less account-based marketing, more account-based everything. And those account-based approaches, um, you must start with the right tech stack. So go speak to vendors, go and speak to account-based vendors like Demandbase, Bombora, ZoomInfo. It really does depend on where you're based as well. There are different technologies that are better in certain countries than others. Um, but go and start speaking to vendors Go to some events, go and see what material is out there for account-based um, everything, account-based selling, account-based prospecting, and just start learning. But the best thing to do is incubate. Um, okay, so incubating. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a, an, a, an approach to that? Is it like uh, take a small piece of what you're doing uh, yes. and shift it and test it and try it? Like how, how do you typically go about that? You've got to get buy-in from the exec team. So if you're currently in a company and marketing's KPIs leads, the first thing you're going to have to do is make sure that you can knock that aside and it won't be a roadblock for you. You want to incubate a small team. Maybe it's one sort of marketing vertical or one marketing manager that starts to think more about pipeline attribution and remove marketing as a source. The best thing to do for pipeline sources is focus on the last point. Not marketing don't drive opportunities for sales. Unless, of course, it's done so without any business development qualification and they just self-qualify. In that case, of course, then 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 it's marketing source. But review your um, metrics, review the KPIs, um, make sure that you have got your incubating 
um, where the core metric is pipeline and it's shared with both marketing and the business development team. And then remove leads completely. Use a piece of, get, get the right tech in. Um, and again, you've got to find the right vendor that allows you to start monitoring intent signals and marketing operations teams know how to set these up. Um, and then expose that in a really clear dashboard to the sellers or the prospectors and get them to just start leveraging intent signals. Marketing should then focus on driving account-based marketing towards whatever focused accounts you want to work on. The best way to incubate is align on your KPIs. So if marketing are working with number of leads as their core KPI, that's not going to work. So you're going to have to find a way to get through whatever sort of systems or processes or rules you've got in place for this year. Find a way to just knock that aside and just get pipeline as the core metric. Remove marketing as a mar as a pipeline source because it doesn't drive pipeline directly. Your source of pipeline should be your last touch from the meeting in terms of who, who got the meeting with the salesperson before it was converted to an opportunity. Now, unless marketing self-generating meetings for, um, for sellers, marketing shouldn't be a source. You can have inbound SDRs and outbound business development as two separate sources. It's called the double funnel. So marketing mm -hmm. provide leads to the SDRs, but let's put that aside a second and we're incubating with the account-based stuff. Um, you really want to get marketing to align on marketing qualified accounts. So you can define that as how many touch points does an account need before we consider it to be a marketing qualified account. And let's just say for simplicity, you have three touch points in an account over four weeks. Mm. For me, that's going to, pop up on my screen as as a marketing qualified account now. And in addition to that, I'm measuring intent signals. So I'm looking at an intent dashboard provider, so something like Demandbase or Bombora, and I'm reviewing that to see out of all my target accounts, which ones are actually showing signs of intent. So marketing focus on account-based marketing metrics. At the same time, you're monitoring intent signals from a set list of accounts that you've identified as having the highest propensity to purchase from us based on the right ICP. And you're focusing on those on your intent dashboards. And that's all you drive. You, yep. you basically prioritize those accounts based on intent and you put them into outreach sequences. So in order to sort of section it off and to trial it, would you suggest that you essentially pick a bunch of accounts and and work on the process on those accounts? Like, you know, uh, make yes. your dream 100. Here's the dream 100 accounts that we would like to work with and start exactly. start monitoring from the start, start monitoring intent uh, and build your process around those 100 accounts uh, in order to test. Exactly. That. You need your tech stack, your focused accounts, agree with marketing on the right KPI, which could be pipeline, and then get your business development team or your sales development team to monitor intent signals while marketing is working on those core accounts with you. But what they're doing is they're not driving leads as their metric. They're just doing account-based programs. And account-based programs don't have forms to fill in. They're just sending them and serving them ads through different networks. Mm. Um, but what that does is it helps, it helps influence account activity. And with more account activity, if they are in a buying cycle, it kind of, it really helps that conversation when you, when you speak to someone from that account. So, yeah. Tech stack, get the right accounts, align on the KPIs. Awesome. Um, 
I really want to ask you about, uh, before we run out of time, I really want to ask you about remote teams, right? Uh, for, a, for a few reasons, obviously, uh, you ran a fairly significant uh, team during a, a time where we were all forced to go into remote working environments, but you've worked with, you know, some teams all over the world for, for quite a while now. Um, mm. And we at, at Trust the Process, obviously, we provide um, offshore workers in the Philippines for all sorts of things, marketing and sales and whatnot. What has been uh, your approach and what have you kind of found works best, helps to make sure that you can, you know, you can trial these these uh, new strategies, you can uh, train people, you can implement new ways of doing things in an, in an organization yeah. that's already really big, you know? Yeah. Uh, biggest thing for me is, well, philosophically is trust. Um, mm. I remember when the pandemic hit and I was hearing phrases like, oh, well, sales development teams are way too junior to, to be working remote. And the reality is if you treat people like their children, they will act like it. And I think you've got to have trust, professional trust mm. with your team. That's number one. Number two is um, don't measure activities as a as a sign of success. It's engagement. So, you know, if you've got a thousand phone calls in one day and got through to one person, or you can make 10 calls in one day and get through to one person, I'd rather go with a person that does 10 calls because, mm. you know, there's there's some deeper thought process behind it. So, you know, focus on engagement as understanding metrics for success, not necessarily just activities. And then just, you know, communication. I think remote is tough to stay in the loop with what matters. And I think just having a single place where you can go get your playbooks, understand what you're doing, um, get, get information about the industry, get information, sorry, about the company and understand exactly kind of what's happening with the team results. Um, and being really transparent with those results, I think really helps. So one thing that we did was just have like a digital leaderboard, which would have information up there about engagement, also show it, sharing with people, how people are tracking in terms of their goals and their attainment. And it creates just a really nice camaraderie around it. Um, you know, you've got teams spread out all over the world, but they get to see this one place where they see how everyone is tracking. And it becomes really clear to people who are struggling and who are not. And for those people that do struggle with remote, and people do, um, yep. that's okay. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's okay to admit maybe this isn't the right career for me. And I think sometimes we we have this kind of thought process in our careers where if we've got a job, we've got to do everything we can to make it successful. But it's just like finding a customer, right? It's just like prospecting. Sometimes there's not a fit, and that's okay. It's okay to say, this isn't right for me, actually. I need to go and work in a place where I get to see people every day physically. And that could be a completely different career step. But mm. for us, where we found a lot of success is just, you know, having that professional trust and and having transparency on, on how we're performing. Yeah, I think there's some some great advice in there from both a, you know, management and leadership perspective, but also from an individual's perspective. I think there's a there's a perfect job for everybody, right? And this one might not be it for you, um, but you do see people go into a business, into a particular role uh, early in their career, not do well at it, not enjoy it, leave, and then take another job doing the exact same thing because that's where their experience is now. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
I look at um I look at what um even you know the the way you went from marketing to sales uh and then you know into this pipeline bit that's sort of right in the middle um as a, a sort of good model for that like find something you like doing especially when you're younger you know like thinking back to those teams we were in years ago uh everybody just trying a bunch of stuff doing a bunch of stuff yeah if you like it keep going uh, but while you're younger, you know, feel free to switch. Hey, when you're older, feel free to switch. If you don't like what you're doing, don't keep doing it. <laughs> exactly. You know, I have this um, I have this view where, you know, someone told me a long time ago that for a relationship to work romantically, mm. you need chemistry and timing. And sometimes timing is the one that never works out. Mm. And I think career is very much like this, where like, yeah. you know, you could be best at what you do, but there is some timing to it as well. You, you know, there is a little bit of spark of success that comes with people being in the right time at the right place. And so like just being really open um, and receptive to opportunities when they may present themselves and maybe they present themselves in many different ways. You know, it could be um, going to an offsite and managing to meet some different executives in the company to being offered a job in a different location. You've got to move all those sorts of risks, but chemistry and timing, I think is really where I see people get truly successful. Um, it's not always about how good you are at what you do. It is also about, you know, hustling your way to the top and getting, get, getting in the right place at the right time. Yes. Uh, you know, everything's a skill. You can learn to be great at what you do and, uh, satisfaction sometimes comes from being in positions to be great at what you do. Yeah. Um, yep. So there is that kind of, you know, ultimate conundrum of have I put in enough effort to figure out whether I'm good at this uh, or whether I can be good at it and whether I can enjoy it. Um, mm. But without the effort, you'll never find anything that you like. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So what I would love to wrap this up is, um where can people find you what might they reach out about <laughs> this is your chance for some some blatant promotion of uh fresh <laughs> uh look um i'm available on linkedin a lot um you know i try to i try to be active on linkedin so i'm you know i'm one of those sad people that deleted instagram and facebook and now all i do is repurpose that dopamine hit on linkedin so i'm yeah, on linkedin same. way too much same. Yeah, I'm like on it every single day. So if you need me, LinkedIn's the best place to find me. Um, and you know, I'm always receptive to making new making new connections. I love it when people don't connect me and pitch to me. I love it when it's just an honest and open professional network connection. So yeah, yeah always keen to learn more. Great. Um, thank you very much for joining us. As always, love having a chat with uh, with uh, with you, especially about business. Uh, some great yeah. stuff there for people to get stuck into, particularly around account-based marketing, um, which looks like a, a really growing, growing avenue. But thanks for joining us. You're very welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Carl.